0: All right, as I'm um, coming to preach the last sermon on the Ten Commandments, I want to give a quick, um, just a thought to parents. I'm going to try to be careful with what I say, but I don't want to worry about everything I have to say. So if you think that your child is too young, we're going to be talking about adultery. And so if you think you're a little too young, you don't want to answer any questions, those kinds of things, I want to, you know, just let you guys know that's all going to be the subject I'll be talking about. So. If you want to get them in their classes or whatever, that's totally fine as well. The other thing is, you know, I was thinking about it as I was actually walking up here. Um, you know, people come into church for the first time, whatever else. And, and you know, here I'm going to talk about adultery. And I'm going to talk about sex and all that kind of thing. And you come, oh, my goodness, I come to church. And, you know, next thing he's going to talk about his money. And I'm really going to be all worked up about it. Um, The purpose behind the the reason and I'll I'll talk about this throughout the sermon, but I want to say it up front. So I set the foundation. God loves you. okay? God desires the best for you. He created you. He knows why and how he created you. He knows the purpose that he has for you. And he doesn't want you to be derailed, your life to be destroyed by, you know, um, engaging in activity that could harm you. He's not, and I'll say this again, but he's not a cosmic killjoy. God loves sex. He created it, okay? He's all for it. God's all just, you know, God's all for sex, all right? But within boundaries. And so as we go through this, understand that it's not me coming up here just, you know, we're going through the Ten Commandments. This is where we are. We don't want to shrink back from anything, especially when we're talking about this subject because it's so important to God. This uh, this whole subject of, of adultery is important to God. So we're going to close out our series this morning on the Ten Commandments by looking at the seventh, which obviously as I just described is adultery. Now, in 1631, someone discovered an omission in the King James Version of the Bible. Now, the omission had to do with one word in the seventh commandment. And so... In 1631, the King James Version of the Bible, if you read Exodus chapter 20, verse, 13, verse 14 would say, thou shalt commit adultery. Left out a very important word there. OK, and a very important word in 1631, which was not OK, the leader of the Church of England. Archbishop Laud was absolutely beside himself. He was he was so outraged by the mistake that he find. And I find this amazing, too, that he had the power to do this. But he fined the printers what was back then a lifetime's income. That's what his fine was to so the printers who made the mistake leaving out the not in that in that in that version. A lifetime's income, because he was so outraged and so frustrated. If that happened today, it would be a big deal. It would probably be just funny, because, you know, but in 1631, uh, Archbishop Laud had had no sense of humor whatsoever on this one. And from that time forward, the 1631 King James uh, Version of the Bible was known as the Wicked Bible. So if you had that, it was the Wicked Bible. Um, If you're going to leave a word out, that would not be the one to leave out and that would not be the place to leave it out. You know, if there's any other word, the, in the middle of some sentence, no one would have noticed. But to leave not out in the middle of thou shalt, you know, not commit adultery, it's probably not your best bet um, to do. Now, adultery is more common today than you would really think. And I know you probably read statistics, but I think this will surprise some people. It is really more common than, than you think. I think a lot of people, honestly, somehow went up in their attic and brushed off the 1631 version of the King James Version of the Bible and read that one. Oh, all right. That's no problem then. Because listen to these statistics. Forty five to fifty five percent of married women and 50 to 60 percent of married men in some time, sometime during their relationship have engaged in an extramarital affair. Um, now, it, it may be common, but the Bible is absolutely clear that marriage is sacred, sacred. In Genesis two twenty four, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh, one flesh. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created them, he initiated the marriage relationship. This unique, unique connection between a man and a woman. There's a unique connection that happens spiritually between a man and a woman in Matthew, chapter 19, verses four through six. Jesus makes this extremely plain. He says, haven't you read? He replied that at the very at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is something that is just supernatural, that two will become one, that the union between a man and a woman takes them from being two people into becoming one person. In God's eyes, you're united with that person. Therefore, whatever God has joined together, let no one separate. This one flesh relationship that we're talking about here, this one flesh relationship involves the joining together of a man and a woman at all levels, physically, emotionally and spiritually. This is where the world kind of misses out and doesn't understand why we make such a big deal out of this from a biblical standpoint. okay, when I say biblical, I mean this from a biblical standpoint, when God speaks, there's three things that happen when two people come together. There's the physical. Everybody gets that one. There's also the emotional. And then there's the spiritual, where two become one. In the eyes of God, two become one. All right? Now, in the emotional side, it's not emotional. I, know I get the emotional. I mean, let me give you just a quick uh, overview of the emotional. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. You know what the most dev- some of the most devastating conversations I ever had with people were over having sex? Uh, when they were younger, and some inevitably it would probably be one of the younger girls who just fell in love with this guy who just told her all the un- incredible things about her and whatever else, and then uh, when he got what he wanted, uh, it, toy was broken, and then he move on to the next one. Well, people aren't toys, and girls are not toys, and they God loves them, and they're gems in His eyes. They're they're treasure to Him. And so when someone treats a, a young lady like that, she's creating the image of God. There's a there's a, a, a physical, emotional and spiritual thing that happens during that interaction. And, uh, and the person is emotionally left devastated because I they would say the same thing. I gave him everything and he just left me. He just dumped me. And it's usually right after is when they get, you get dumped. So you got the physical, you get the emotional and you have the spiritual only a man and a woman can establish this one flesh relationship. The way God has established marriage in this one flesh relationship, only a man and a woman based upon the way God has made them can establish this one flesh relationship. When someone commits adultery, they violate it. It violates this relationship. It's an intrusion, basically, of an outsider into the total, unique and exclusive commitment which should be between a husband and a wife. So what happens there, you've got the physical emotion and spiritual. Someone else comes in from the outside and is intruding on this unique relationship that God has created and doing damage to something that really matters to God. It matters to him and it matters to him. And I'm going to you some practical reasons. Marriage is the is the basic building unit of a society. When you have strong marriages in a society, when you have strong relationships and marriages in a society, you you will you will continue to build a stronger society. Society societies that build strong marriages and strong families thrive. Those who don't don't thrive. If you have strong marriages and strong families in a culture in a society, that society will thrive. If you don't then that society will crumble and fall apart. You just look look back at your history. Look back at Rome, the Roman Empire. They couldn't be taken from the outside. They were taken from the inside. When they allowed their culture to go down certain roads, it it just disintegrates. When you weaken the fabric of God's design for marriage, you produce broken lives, social disorder, and divine judgment. And that's all there is to it. It's, It's the way God has set it up. In Malachi, chapter two, verses 13 through 15, explains something, sometimes what happens when you break this marriage covenant. Listen to this. It says another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays any attention to your to your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. You ask why? It is because listen to this. It's amazing. This is why this is why it's so important to God. He says it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant has not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. So, again, the connection and what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of youth, your youth. Be on your guard. Protect yourself. Protect your family. Protect your fa- I don't have to stand up here as the pastor and tell most of you, okay, the, the, the end result, the consequences, when something like that interferes into your, into your family life, what it does to your family, I don't have to get into all the details. Everyone who's been through something like that understands how that affects your family. And God is not sitting back waiting to hit you with lightning bolts because you did something wrong. What God is looking at is saying, if they go down this road, what consequences will there be for them personally, for them physically, emotionally and spiritually? And we can go on about the physical as well. But physically, emotionally and spiritually and how will it affect those around them? It's all based on love. God loves us, and he's trying to protect us. In most places where the word adultery is used in the, in the Bible, it really refers to the physical act. But then we have our favorite person in the world, who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes into the picture, and Jesus turns again the whole thing upside down. Okay? Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, and says this, You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, people sitting back going, that's just ridiculous. All right. That's ridiculous. You know, I don't know why Jesus makes it even more difficult. No, actually, Jesus loves you. Even Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you more than anybody else in this world. And what he's saying is you need to guard yourself. You need to guard. And the, the act of adultery most frequently results when by allowing your mind to go from attraction to action. Okay, it, Jesus is saying it all starts in your heart. It all starts in your mind and heart. And so what he doesn't want you to do, if this is the line, okay, this is the line, he doesn't want you, you got to dancing around the line. Woohoo! I'm not really going up. See, I made it. He doesn't want you playing around there. What Jesus is saying, if that's the line, you should be way back here. You should start back here. He, Jesus saying it's back here where it starts in the mind and heart. And when you what he's trying to help us understand is that there there there's there's sin involved. OK, and he wants to deal with the sin back here, not over here. The end result of this could be a destroyed family. The broken heart of a wife or a husband. Children are totally miserable because their lives are being torn apart. He doesn't want to deal with that. Jesus says, hey, he's not going to because the Old Testament the Old Testament, it was the truth. Jesus didn't come and bring something brand new to the whole scene. OK, he's just elaborating and saying this is what the commandment means. Don't dance over here. Step back here. And if you look at this, if you're married and you're looking at some other woman in your office and you're lusting. You're thinking, oh, man, I'll tell you what, boy, oh, boy, blah, 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 blah. And you start talking to her. Hey, what do we have for lunch? Or, all innocent. Let's have lunch. What is that going to do to your wife? Jesus understands that. And what he's saying is if you're back here and she starts looking at you and you start thinking, no, catch yourself. Think about what you're control, your mind, control your heart, because what he's what Jesus actually wants is he wants you to recognize your sin and he wants you to repent of your sin. OK, because he doesn't want you to walk around feeling guilty guilty. Or or condemned or overwhelmed or whatever the case. He doesn't want you carrying a bag of rocks around your back of all the guilt, of all the guilt. He's saying, no, when it happens in your mind and heart, ask for forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you. Then you move on in freedom. You have complete freedom. Who here is perfect, never thinks anything wrong. No one should raise their hand. Exactly. I wouldn't raise my hand. I'll stick in my pockets. Everyone thinks something wrong. just talking about this area of our lives in every area of our lives. Someone cuts you off and you don't have to give them the, the happy gesture. You know what I'm saying? You can even think it. And Jesus would say, hmm, come on. And we talked about last week about that What the opposite of, 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 of hate and killing, you know, of, of treating with respect and having a love for life. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wants, us, he wants us to recognize our sin and repent of it. He's not here, the Bible's not here to beat us up to leave us feeling all condemned and guilty. That's not what it's about. That's what you're told it's about out in the world sometimes. Oh, I going not go there if feel guilty. It's not what it's about. Let me give you a perfect example. David and Bathsheba. Even if you don't come to church a lot, you kind of probably heard about this, this story, where David, you know, he should be at war. King David should be at war. Instead, he goes up on his rooftop. He looks down and Bathsheba is this gorgeous woman. And she's down there, t- you know, taking a shower, bath, whatever. And he's looking down there. And instead of just going "Oh, shouldn't, you know, and Luke walks away. He stands there and looks. OK, and we're talking about Jesus re- wanting you to recognize your sin and repent of it. Well, David goes through this whole thing. He's up sleeping with Bathsheba, kills her, hu- ends up killing her husband, all this kind of stuff. Because one progression, sin progresses. David, I mean, I'm sure he recognized what he was doing. It was wrong, but not really totally understanding what he was doing. So who comes into play? Nathan. Nathan comes in and says, hey, David king here. Got something for you. There's this rich guy and this poor guy. And he tells a story how the rich guy's taking advantage of the poor guy and all the things he does to him, steals this. And so David is just fuming at this rich guy. He's just like, Who is this man? Because he's the king, he's gonna whip off of your head or whatever. And Nathan looks at him and goes, Hey, buddy, it's you. It's you. Because what Nathan, what God wants David to realize is that he sinned. And he wants him to bring him to repentance. David's called a man. Uh, I, this one blows my mind. David is called a man after God's own heart. The guy commits adultery. He kills her husband. OK, all kinds of things going on. And he's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he, when he recognizes he did something wrong, he repents of it. And he and he and he does. He turns direction and does not try to do that again, doesn't do that again, does his best to avoid that. That's what God is looking for. He's not looking for perfection. He's not going to find it. He when we are in Christ, we have perfection in Christ. What he's looking for is for us to repent, recognize, recognize that something's a sin, repent of it and move on. It does God no good for you to wallow around. I'm such a loser. I can't believe I did that. Blah, 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 blah. You've been doing that the rest of your life. Holy mackerel. He wants you to say, yep, I, oh, I should not have done that. God, forgive me. You're forgiven because you have that relationship with Christ His blood covers you and you move on with your life. Proverbs 6, 30, 23 through 29 says this. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life. Keep keeping you from the na- your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust. your do, do not lust in your heart after her beauty in your heart, in your heart. OK, do not lust. In your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread. But another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without burning, without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. God is saying we need to make sure we guard against this type of behavior because it has such devastating consequences on our own lives and the lives of others. We need to understand again, I'm going to say it again, that sex is not just physical. It is physical, it is emotional, and it is spiritual. It is spiritual. And marriage is sacred. And so we need to do everything in our power to avoid getting ourselves engaged there, because we, we need to make sure that in, we, we do everything we can to avoid not just listen. The covenant that we have is a covenant between it's you, your spouse and God. It's not just between you and your spouse. It's between you, your spouse and God. And the relationship here is first. This is the one you have to focus on first. If you focus on your relationship with Christ and God, if you really focus on your relationship with God first, you're most likely not going to get in, engage in that in that behavior in the first place. So we need to remember it is a covenant between you, your wife or your husband and God. First Corinthians six eighteen through 20 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Adultery is so destructive because of the spiritual, this physical and this emotional, aspect to it. That's why it's so devastating. So we have to guard against it at all costs. Now, no one gets up in the morning and says to themselves, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to cheat on the person I'm with. I'm going to cheat on this person. That's that's, just, I, I, that's what I feel like doing. That's what I'm going to do. I haven't really thought about it before, but I'm going to cheat. The problem is marriage. Most marriages cite adultery as the cause for their divorce. But the problem we face is that most marriages are struggling before the adultery occurs. So we got to ask ourselves, you know, how do we how do we strengthen marriages? How can we we we, how do we work on our marriages? We need to be working on our marriages. We work hard. I'll just pick on the men. Men work really hard at at building relationships or building um, uh, networking in their offices at work. They work hard on connecting on building those building those relationships and building um, building networking. And, and so we do we do that with our relationships, We do it in other areas of our lives. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we doing that same working that hard in our relationships with our wife, with our spouse? Are we putting that kind of energy in? When we see someone, we want to build a relationship with another company. Are we putting the same energy into that relationship, working on that relationship, as we do networking and building relationships with people within our company? See, we often become lazy. We become lazy and frustrated when things don't work out the way we thought they would work out. We wanted our marriage to go a certain direction; it doesn't go that way. So we become lazy. We don't work as hard on our marriage relationship, and we become frustrated. And that's where the trouble begins. See, I think part part. okay, not the whole part of the problem is unmet expectations. We have we go into marriage with 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 sometimes the wrong expectations or unmet expectations. And where do these expectations come from? Well, I think when you go into a marriage, you sometimes think your marriage is going to be like every chick like you ever seen wrapped in a bow. Right. I mean, they're, they're, I'm not saying they're wrong to all. I've seen every, probably every chick flick on the planet. And I'm saying they're all wrong. But the problem is when you walk into a marriage with expectations, like every little chick flick you've ever seen wrapped in a bow, you're going to have a problem. We, we get this romantic idea of love and that becomes our foundation. Nothing wrong with romance. I make sure my wife gets flowers every single month. OK, I want to make sure that I'm that I show my wife I love her. And so I want to be romantic. And we try to go out on dates and all those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with that. But that cannot be the foundation of your relationship. We have this fairy tale kind of pride and prejudice idea or thought process. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Pride and prejudice. At the very end, you have that that beautiful marble table. They're sitting on Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth, right? And they're sitting there, and I have seen them about 50 times, and I'm not giving you my man card. I have, I have a lot of women at home. So Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth are sitting there, and Mr. Darcy says, well, what do I, what do I call you? And they're just kneeling down next to each other and staring at each other's eyes. What do I call you when I'm cross? Mrs. Darcy? And she says, let me think if I remember it. No, no, she says, you can only call me Mrs. Darcy when you are madly and incandescently, like that, I remember the words, madly and incandescently in love with me. And what does he do? He stares at her and kisses her on the head. Mrs. Darcy. On the cheek. Mrs. Darcy. And he kisses her smack on the lips. Mrs. Darcy. Some of those kisses, aren't they the most awkward thing in the world in some of those movies? It's like, Man alive! Dump that dude! He can't kiss at all! Like, ah, But... No, not there. He's like, he kissed her. Oh, Mrs. Darcy. And then in the background, the, the guys are all thinking, man, I wish I had that house. See that big pond back there or anything? But you see the swans swimming in the background. There's beautiful swans and it's just incredible. Mrs. Darcy. I have a video clip from Enchanted that sums this whole thing up perfectly. Watch this. Oh, sorry. oh, that's okay Ah, uh, trolls are fine to pass the time, Nathaniel But but my heart longs to be joined in song I've been dreaming of a true love's kiss And, I'm um... hoping Oh, Oh. Do you hear that, Nathaniel? Me? No, no, I hear nothing. <laughs> nothing at all, Your Highness. <laughs> oh, 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 oh I must I find know. the maiden that belongs Get to this sweet <laughs> voice. Oh, no, come back, Sire. Don't you want to try, Destiny? Baby, like... Oh, oh, oh. oh no. no, no, this isn't good. All these years of troll chasing, trying to keep him from ever meeting a girl. Oh, the queen. Oh, the oh, no, the queen. No, she's not going to lie there. No. Troll loves kiss. <laughs> <laughs> A dream boy exists? Oh Pip, I know he's out there somewhere. I I I I I I I I what? I eat you now. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Hey, that's cheating. I'm supposed to eat you. Oh. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I gotta lay off the nuts. Good, oh, yummy. yummy. Fear not, fair maiden, I am here. <laughs> Get out! Gotcha! Whoa. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <gasps> oh. Uh oh. Hang on, honey. Oh, Oh my gosh. It's you. (gasps) Yes, it's me. And you are? Giselle. Oh, Giselle. We shall be married in the morning. You're the fairest maid I've ever met. You were made to finish your duet, and And in years years to come we'll reminisce, how we came to love, and grew and grew love, since birthday. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, all he has to do is look at her. You know what I mean? It's like, we'll be married in the morning. And that's where your thing going to marriage. And what you get is someone who can't remember to put the toilet seat down. You know what I'm saying? The dude can't remember. I mean, guys, what is it? We can't remember. We can't find anything. Could you get the tuna out of the, the cupboard? Sure. Two minutes later, he's yelling upstairs, Honey, I can't find the tuna. Where are you standing? In front of the cupboard. Reach out your arm. Yeah. Open the cupboard. Yeah. Now reach your arm at a 45 degree angle. Uh Uh-huh. Reach out a little to the right. Yes. Oh, I see it. I've got it. I've got it now. Okay. Thank you. Right? It's this Y2K can of tune. Remember that way back when? The Sam's Club can of tune about this big right in front of your face and you can't see it. My wife always says, you know, you can move something to look. I want it to be right in front of me. But, you know, some men have their things, but then women have theirs as well. You marry this woman and everything's so cute. But then all these cute things, some of them aren't so cute anymore. Like when she sends you to the store to get her personal stuff and you're online. You know what I mean? Like, hmm, hmm, hmm. My favorite of all, though, is when they send you, when you're in a, you're in a place and they hand you their purse. okay. Now, they never hand you the purse in the parking lot at home. They hand you the purse in front of, like, 4,000 people in the mall or at the movie theater. And they're gone for, like, a long time. And you're standing there with this purse. What do you do with the purse? Women, what are we supposed to do with this purse? Let me help you guys out. I'm going to save your marriage, okay? I have, I have become an expert on what to do when you're handed a purse. First, you're handed something like this even more freely, okay? What you don't do is this, Okay? <laughs> Especially if it doesn't match, okay? throws the whole ensemble off. Do not put it over your shoulder. You have two options as a man here, all right? Number one is the stinky skunk technique. That's like you think like, you, you act like there's a stinking skunk inside there, and you hold it with one finger out like this with total disgust. I can't believe I'm actually holding this thing or if you want to be really manly, you grab it like a football and you hold it like this. You just snag it like your hand, your whole hand around it, and you walk around like, yeah, I'm holding the purse. What's your problem? <laughs> what are you looking at, buddy? I'm holding it. Hey, you, go along. Uh, uh, yeah, I got you. Now you can, you, you can kind of, kind of, you know what I'm saying? Whatever you want to do, but you just hold it like a man, and that gets you, you know, so you avoid the feelings of what oh, I don't know. You're a purse. Okay, have I helped you out there? So the next time your wife holds, just grab it like I actually do that too. I actually grab it like that. I don't know why. I just don't want to hold it like this or like that. No, just me. All right. So, you know, we, we have to make sure we have to make sure that we're continually working and, and working. You know, I love my wife now more than the day I married her. But I don't know about you. Maybe your lives are all just like peachy keen all the time and never get into struggles. But we have to work at our marriage. We work at our marriage. We work through things. We talk to each other. We engage each other. We try to talk through issues. We don't let them go and so that they fester. But we get fed on a diet of this romantic love and expect it all the time in our marriage. And unfortunately, that's not what, that's not the foundation of love in a marriage. That's not the foundation. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. You want to have that romantic love, but it shouldn't be the foundation because it's, you discover in a very short period of time, it's not real life. It's just not real life. Marriage is about love, but it's not just about romantic love. When the Bible talks about love in a marriage, it's not just talking about feelings. It's talking about commitment. It's talking about responsibility. That's what the Bible talks about. It's not just the outward feelings. Feelings come and go. We all know that. But commitment and responsibility and loving someone through the hard times, that's what the Bible is talking about. You want to build or restore a healthy marriage? I'm going to tell you the kind of love that you need to have. I'll kind of share with you. But before I do, I know some of you who have been coming to church for a long time, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, OK, here it goes. Pastor Jeff's going to tell us, wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. No, it's not what I was going to say. Those are very good verses, but before you start quoting them to each other, you should actually study what they mean and then quote them to other or talk to each other about them. Study what they mean. But while you're studying those verses, here's the one I want you to memorize. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, underline it, mark it, whatever you need to do. But it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing. Listen, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not the same as not a little lower than better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So be thinking about the person, thinking about them constantly. What can I do? You're thinking about the other. Your attitude, again, internally, all this is internal. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, if you want a strong marriage, if you want a strong relationship, you memorize that. The attitude, a servant's attitude, putting the other person first, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't focus on yourself in your marriage. Focus on the other person. If you want to be heard, you have to hear them. Everything that you want from the other person, you give to the other person first. Forgiveness, being heard, being respected, being loved, uh, getting the benefit of the doubt. Whatever you expect from the other person, give to the other person first. And if they see that in your life, that you're sacrificial, that you acting out the love of Jesus Christ to them in their lives, they'll reciprocate. Most normal people will reciprocate if you live that kind of life with them over a period of time. So how do we keep our marriages strong? How do we keep our relationships strong? First, we need to have. We need to make sure that we're making our marriage a priority. And basically, what that means is we need to remember, from my perspective, it's always good to go talk about these grandioso things we can do. Oh, I'm going to take my wife on a blah, 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 one time. That's one time. That's great. But how about the little things? It's the little things that really matter, like special days. Guys, don't forget special days like her birthday and, your, and her, your anniversary, your wedding anniversary, those kinds. If you can remember the first time you had a date and surprise her one time, this is our first date anniversary. Let's go out. I mean, you'll blow her mind. She'll be so thrilled that you actually thought that through and remembered that. Remember the little things. Forgive. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't let things pile up on each other. It's a simple thing, but it's a huge thing. Talk to the other person and listen to what the other person has to say. Focus on what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying. Maybe repeat it back to them and say, I hear you saying this and I appreciate your thoughts on that. Just let them know that you're listening to them. Doing little things really shows that you care. You know, people are, especially guys, I'll pick on the guys again. Guys love the grandioso. I love you so much I would die for you. But I'll never forget one of the professors said, a woman professor said to the other ladies in our class at Nyack, she said, ladies, don't believe he'll die for you if he won't do the dishes when you ask. It's simple but true, isn't it? Don't believe he's going to die for you and do this huge gesture if he won't do the dishes when you ask. When someone is hurting, when someone, you step out, you do what you need to do. You show the other person that you love them. Students, I want you to close your ears right now. Just hold your ears for a second and go, la, 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 la. Because, guys, married people here, you need to keep the love light burning, okay, baby? You need to keep it burning, both. You need, you need to be, that's something that needs to be important in your life. You need to focus on that. You can't let that love light burn out. I absolutely love this commercial, this Progresso commercial that just came on. Ring, 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 ring. Progresso, we have a, bit of a bad connection. Oh, hang on. Is, is that better? Much better. We love your Weight Watchers indoor soups, but my husband looks the way he did 20 years ago. Well, well, that's great But he's wearing the clothes he wore 20 years ago, too. Oh. I know the neighbors are talking about him. I'm, I'm sorry, can you hang on? My, my, my other can's ringing. Please hurry back. Okay. Progresso. Hey, can you tell my wife to relax and enjoy the view? <laughs> <laughs> Progresso. <laughs> You got to relax and enjoy the view is what I'm saying. OK, it's, I mean, I'm telling you, how do we ever get together back then? All right. Because that's how it looked. I mean, they're not that's not even an exaggeration to how we look when we're out playing softball or something. It's like how anybody ever got married and had kids. is just beyond me. <laughs> but that's we have to keep that going. We and we need to avoid crossing the line, my friends, from from more than a friend with someone of the opposite sex. We need to make sure we're not crossing that line. And you cross the line when you, when you don't set boundaries. We need to set boundaries. And I'm not being legalistic here. I'm not being all over-spiritual. I'm just being real practical here. You need to set boundaries. For example... Online connections, online connection with old friends. I have whatever, 680 whatever friends, blah, 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 blah. I love to throw that out. You think I'm so popular. Um, I have always friends online and I talk to I talk to old friends from 20, 30 years ago. I don't have any problem with that. My wife knows exactly who I talk to. She can go on my my Facebook page and look at anything she wants. But we need to be really careful. It's it's fun to do to connect with people, but if you don't handle that appropriately, it can destroy your relationships. This is huge. This isn't a minor problem. This is a major problem. Major problem. Dr. Michael Adams, co-author of *The Affairs of the Net*, says that approximately 70 of our time spent online, 70% of the time spent online or in chat rooms, are in, or in, or are in chat rooms or sending emails. And he says that of these interactions, the majority of them are romantic in nature. OK, so 70 percent of the time that people spend online or in chat rooms, OK, or sending emails, 70 percent of those, OK, the majority of those are romantic in nature. Here's some other studies. I'm just going to read these through. Fifty seven percent of people who are online have flirted online, OK? OK. of people have engaged in explicit online conversation. I'll leave out some words. And 50% of people have made phone contact with someone they've chatted with online. Evidence proves that there's a high correlation between online infidelity and subsequent real-time affairs. Evidence supports the fact that people online become less inhibited, accelerate intimacy, and move into other online Behavior, physical behavior, which in turn leads to real-time infidelity. Thirty-one percent of people have had an online conversation that has led to a physical encounter. Okay, so you have you, you you. All I'm saying is, I don't go online. I'm not throwing. Don't go online. You can't. I can't believe you go to line. Don't go to movies. Blah, blah blah blah. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, if you're married, be careful. You may not intend, but the person on the other side has maybe gone through something and, you know, and they're now they're kind of out there looking and you're talking away and just sharing whatever. And the person starts to get a little too comfortable. You might just, you know, say, you know, I'm not talking to that person anymore for, uh, and, you know, give them, let them. You know what? I don't get. I'll just say this. A lot of people I don't get flirted with by people. And I, I think one of the reasons why and I'm being serious here is because if you give off a certain vibe to people, I can go out and hug every single person in this room. I'll do it ever for the rest of my life. OK, but I get I will give off a certain vibe to people and to, they understand I'm not I am not at all interested at all. We can give off a certain vibe even online. If people start to talk a certain way, you basically cut them off. You don't allow them to to, you don't allow that conversation to continue. You protect yourself. You set up boundaries. I'm making this point because this is so important. I spend so much time with people who are engaged in this kind of behavior. And it's almost like they they don't they don't understand it. Adultery usually starts when communication breaks down between a husband and a wife. So it starts to break down and then we, we we stop talking to each other. But then you start communicating with someone else at work and you, they are online or old oh, boyfriend or girlfriend. And you know what? They understand you. They're talking to you and they understand you and they relate to you. And you're just, you know, you don't. This is this is someone who understands us. That was your spouse. That was that other person a few years back. But you haven't worked on that relationship. You haven't worked through that. And so all of a sudden you start moving over here. Then you start becoming good friends. Nothing wrong with build, reattaching old friendships. We begin to enjoy the other person's company. We start spending more time with them. By this time, my friends, the flag should be just waving. All right. They should, the red flag should be just waving all over the place. Then the mind and the heart starts to wander. All right. And you begin to think of that other person more than you think of your spouse. You you begin to think you wish your spouse was more like that other person. Your mind starts to go through it and you begin to think about, I'll just put it this way, connecting with that person. Physically connecting with that person. If you've gone down that road, you need to stop right now. You really do. I'm, I'm trying to protect you from yourself. Follow Paul's advice in the Bible. Run, he says, flee temptation, run away, get away from there. Be honest with the person. I mean stop, cut off the fits, cut off that contact that you're having with that person. If you're going down this road and you know, in your heart, the difference between connect. I have Anne Marie. We're going to a series where I'm talking to someone so much. It's unbelievable. It's all about apologetics, defending my faith. We're going back and forth. My wife writes to her. It's all cool. Nothing wrong with writing to someone online. You know, the difference of what I'm talking about between talking to someone appropriately and going down a road, break off the relationship, break it off. Be honest and tell the person your marriage is struggling and you need to you need to work on that marriage. So you can no longer connect with that person. Don't meet with them. Don't don't initiate any physical contact with them at all, because if you do and you go down that road, it is so hard to stop. And I know. I'll, listen to me. I know what some of you are thinking right now, because I've had these con- not in this room. I'm just I've had these conversations in the last 15 years with a lot of people and I'll talk to them. And what they'll say is you don't understand, Pastor Chef, This person's my soulmate. They're my soulmate. And I'll try to explain to them and, and they'll, you know, you know, they're, they're my soulmate. And I, I feel like saying, I see, I've been dreaming of a true love's kiss. You know what I'm saying? Because I, and I'm going to be cautious here because I can get real passionate about things. And so I'll be more cautious. This is not Reality. You know, you look at this person. Oh, there's my soulmate. They understand everything about me. They understand. Listen to me. Have you raised kids with these people? Have you paid bills with them? Have you gone through loss with this person? Have you gone through changes in your life with them? Do you know their issues? Oh, that's right. They don't have issues. They're perfect. I've been dreaming. Let's sing it together. Okay. Right. You can't get that high, can you? Now, you know where Jen gets it. No, you, you know, you, you know, you start thinking, you start, you start singing that song. It's like, come on, get, really think this through. There's fantasy and there's reality. And reality is doing life, living life with someone, not someone who tells you what you want to hear. And my question is, if they're so wonderful and so perfect, why are they? Why are they engaging this kind of interaction with you, a married person? Why don't you go back and talk to other, to the last three people they've had relationships with what with and see how really wonderful they are. And just to be clear, this is not true love. People will say to me all the time. This is what the, this is something else they'll say. They'll say, you know, I don't understand. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And they say it with such passion, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I would love to say, God, yeah, God just wants you to be happy. Go, go off and do what you want to do. God wants you to be happy. But you know what the reality is? You know what the reality is? God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be happy, yes. But you know what God wants? God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have contentment. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have all those things, but those things don't come if you step outside of his will. He loves you with all of his heart. He wants you to be in a relationship for the rest of your life to raise your children in a way that your children have a foundation. That's what God wants for you. Sure, he wants you to be happy, but that's not the... And here, let me just be real clear. There are reasons. There are, I know there are reasons for getting divorced. There are. I'm not going to argue that point. They're in the Bible. There are reasons to get divorced. There is never a reason to commit adultery. Never. Never has been, never will be. Never. And no matter what excuse to what reason or how the Spirit led, uh, what you're feeling, all those things, they add up to about... Bup kiss to God, they don't they don't add up. Because God will lead you through if, if there's a reason for a divorce, God will lead you through. If there's not, then God will lead you in strength. And he, if you give him a chance, he can strengthen that marriage relationship. God can do miracles in people's lives. I just got an email from someone this week just saying, thank you so much for spending some time with me because we, our marriages were totally restored. I couldn't imagine when I talked to this person years ago, they couldn't imagine being together. OK, they, 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 now they can't imagine being apart. Both of them can't imagine being apart. That's wonderful. God can do miracles in people's lives, He can do miracles in people's lives. We just need to give him that opportunity. We, we all need support and accountability as well. And I believe that every single person in this church, every married couple in this church, every person in this church should be a part of a life group. Should be connected to a life group. Because a life group is a place where you can come together and build safe, supportive relationships. You're going through a hard time as a woman, you can talk to the women. You're going through a hard time as a guy, you can talk to the guys. You can work through your issues. You can come together. We can, you can build and strengthen your marriage within that life group. You have support. Every person in the church should have a spiritual, someone they can spiritually talk to, a spiritual support system of the same sex. Same sex, because what happens again is if you connect with someone on that level and you start talking through all your issues and all your difficulties. You build a connection. It's just human. And we're not. I'm not stupid. I'm just a person like the rest of you. You get into a room with someone for months at a time and talk about all the intimate details of their life. You're going to become connected to that person. And that's where the danger point comes in. How did you get to know the person you're in love with now? You spend time with them talking about about your ma- about um, children and your your likes and your dislikes and all the things that all your struggles and you intimately had conversations and you fell in love just because you're married. You cannot get into a relationship with someone else of the opposite sex that you're attracted to and have those same conversation. It's just troubling to happen. I'm not trying to be a, a killjoy. I'm just trying to be honest. I just want to do life together here and just tell the truth. That's the truth. I don't want to see anybody harmed. God doesn't want to see anybody harmed. We need to connect and protect each other. And when you see red flags in someone else's life, I'm not talking about going and judging anybody. I'm saying if you see red flags in a marriage and you're close to those people, you should ask them questions. How are you guys doing? Anything we can do for you? Maybe just sitting down the four of you together as couples could really make a difference. You know, if you've been struggling... Um, in your marriage, please don't wait until it's too late. Usually when people come to me in their marriage, it's so far down the road, it's so difficult to to overcome. So much has been said to other people. So much has been said to each other. That issue is festered like an infection, and it's so difficult. Finally, if, if you believe you've gone over the line, and I'm not just talking about adultery. I mean, we read the scripture here. There's forgiveness. Let me make, let me say that very, we said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again at the end. There is forgiveness. Okay. There's forgiveness. Church is not about condemning people. The Bible says this, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You should not walk around feeling guilty. Why? Because you can go to Christ, ask for forgiveness. And if you're sincere in your heart, he will forgive you and you move on. I don't care what you're thinking about right now. You could be thinking, oh, you don't understand, pastor. You have no idea what I've done. You're a pastor. You can't get it baloney. I've heard more. I've heard more things than most of you will ever read, see, or even think about. I've heard more from people. I understand. And I'm telling you, there's nothing anyone in this room or anyone in this world can tell me here this morning or any other time as long as I live where Christ cannot forgive you. You can be forgiven for whatever you've done. That's a great thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ. When you make a mistake, it's like this board up here. It's like the screen. It's almost like if it was a blackboard or whiteboard, you take your eraser and you erase everything you've ever done as you ask for forgiveness. And God forgives you and you move on. You don't carry it around as a burden on your back. That's what Jesus wants us to do. So if, for instance, you're struggling in a physical relationship right now. Maybe that's something you need to go before God and talk about. You know what I mean? Just walk that through with God. If your online activity is not of of the highest purity, maybe that's something you need to deal with. If you're thinking about crossing the line with someone at work or someone that you've been talking to online... Maybe that's something that you need to you need to work on. Ephesians chapter five, verses one through four covers it all. It says this follow God's example, therefore, as dearly dearly loved let me say this again, this is what God says to you dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. So let's define love again. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself all for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what is the opposite of love? This is the opposite of love. But among you, there must not be a hint of any sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed, for these are um, improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be an obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I know all this sounds kind of radical to some of you. I know it does. It sounds kind of radical. Um, but listen, here's who it's coming from. It's coming from a God who loves you. It's coming from a God who created you. It's coming from a God who who understands. Uh, he, again, he's not some cosmic killjoy. He created sex. He he he, he made it up. Okay, nothing wrong with it. And he's saying, I love you and I want you to I want you to protect yourself within these boundaries, because outside the consequences can be devastating. God created you. He knows you more than anyone else. And he knows the purpose for which he created you. Trust him. Trust him. That's what he's don't trust me. Trust him. That's what he's asking. If you would, why don't you just bow your heads with me as we close, bow your heads. And if, if you need to ask for forgiveness I don't want anybody walking out of here feeling beat up or guilty or miserable or condemned. If that happens, I just man, I don't want that at all. I don't want that for your life. If you if you need to ask for forgiveness, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you the time to do that right now. While there's a song playing in the background, just keep your heads bowed. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. And as you're as you're spending time with God, just say God, I, you know, I just I know that I've not been living the way I should and, and uh, I, I want to live for you and just talk to him about it and just say, God, forgive me for how I've been living. I want to work toward a more close relationship with you because a closer. Listen, it's like a pyramid. If you're on one side and you're your and your 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 love, your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever is on the other side or boyfriend, and, you, and the closer you come to Christ, if you just picture in your mind, you're both on the bottom ends. The closer you come to Christ, the closer you come to each other. And so if you need to kind of let some of these things go, whatever it is, online, in, at work, in your thoughts, I don't know. I'm going to read you a couple verses just to let you know there's a God who loves you and you have not done anything that cannot be forgiven. In First John 1, 9, it says this. Just listen as you have your eyes closed. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God wants to forgive us. It's really simple. All we need to do is ask. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in 1 John 1, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Listen to the words. Just get finished saying some things that were probably pretty tough, like I just said to you. So picture this actually coming from me. I'm going to read it from the scriptures, but picture it. You've heard some things that are really tough. You feel maybe a little overwhelmed, a little defensive. Let that go. Listen to this. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, just like I just did. I tell you these things, members and tenders here at Grace Chapel, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, see, reality, we're not perfect. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's nothing you can do. Father, we come before you and just say this out loud. There's nothing we know. There's nothing we can do that you won't forgive us for. You don't want us to be miserable. You want us to be happy, filled with joy, living in in romantic relationships that are committed, responsible. We love each other, not just on the surface, but to the depths of our heart. That we follow after your son Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made. And so, Father, we ask that if there's areas of our lives that we need to to let go of, that we need to repent of, we, we would do that right now. Lord God, that we would repent that we would ask forgiveness for what we're doing wrong. Because we know your your word says that if we confess our sin, you're, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We can start over again. So, Father, that's what we ask for. We ask for forgiveness for every area of sin that has affected and infected our lives. Lord God, we don't want to condemn each other here or make each other feel guilty or... Or pass judgment on each other so we feel overwhelmed. Lord God, all we want to do is do life together in this church. Come around each other, support each other, encourage each other, love each other, and help each other build strong relationships, strong families, strong marriages. And this is the way to do it. So, Father, we lay it at the cross. We lay it all at the cross. We leave it there. And we want to leave here different people than when we came in. Just say that in your heart right now. I just want to be a different person leaving this place than when I came in. More like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We love you that your word says to us, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What freedom we have in you. We leave it all in this room, Lord God. We leave it all behind. And we walk out of here free men and women. Free to live our lives for you. To love each other with everything we have in our hearts. And to build strong marriages and families that will endure, that will leave a legacy for years to come. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a fantastic day.